listener production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, a month ago, we finished our special edition series, COVID One Year On, which proved a runaway hit with 30 leaders across marketing, tech, media and agencies all reflecting on their key lessons as we roll over to the second year of managing in a global pandemic. The biggest hit in the COVID special editions was penned from Pedestrian Group CEO Matt Rowley, who more than stirred industry feathers with his piece, Remote Working and Zoom Drinks Will Destroy Young Talent's Best Formative Years. In his piece, Matt argued working from home is all too seductive for younger employees and that the connections we make early in our careers are fantastically important. A diet of virtual office culture will never be enough for developing talent, Matt argued. So given there's so much discourse on the future of work and talent, we thought it was time for an industry update and debate. Joining Matt Rowley is OMD's CEO Amy Buchanan, who as part of parent Omnicom Media Group has been early in the charge to get its people back in the office and it seems to be working. Amy is joined by the Hallway CEO, Jules Hall, who after an early declaration last year that his agency office life as we know it was over, reversed that view a little later on. And Sarah Wise, General Manager of Digital Media and Marketing at the AFL, is also joining. And our final guest brings a little academic rigour to the conversation, Associate Professor Carl Treacher, CEO of the Brand Institute and founder of Culture Garden. So with such an esteemed lineup, let's get to this very meaty conversation. I should preface it, though, with the point that there is little solidarity so far and how this will all land. A bit over a week ago, Australia's tech darling Atlassian announced its Team Anywhere policy, where employees can work from any location in a country where Atlassian has a corporate entity, and the time zone is broadly aligned with their team members. On the flip side, Google recently announced employees needed to live within commuting distance of its offices and apply if they want to work for more than 14 days from home. And interestingly, Google's global boss of real estate investments and development, Mark Golan, said late last year that collaboration works better in the office. And I quote, if you don't have physical co-location, I think we're all going to struggle. You run the risk of being very efficient at doing the wrong thing. And I think over time, that's the risk that we run. That's what he told a Lend-Lease Building Summit late last year. So Matt Rowley, to you first, being the protagonist, now that we have all that fodder, uh, why are you so concerned that work from home will collapse the careers of many? It's a, it's, a, it's a big issue and it really landed in the market with your viewpoint. Welcome, Matt, by the way. Yeah, thanks, Paul. No, it's, it's good to be on. It's good to be talking about this. I think this whole issue about work from home is something that everyone's got an opinion on, but it's something that I think that opinion is something that maybe that they hold quite close to themselves. It's almost like a bit of a political argument, I think. Um, but the, bit, the angle that I came from there with young people and their careers is just from an insight or a lived experience that I think probably many of the people in this call or this uh, podcast uh, recording would have had, which is how much of your career in terms of your learning, in terms of your network. And when I'm saying learning, I'm talking about, you know, learning what to do, those soft skills and seeing people that you admire and or seeing those people who you think are maybe getting things wrong from time to time. Um, and so therefore learning what not to do. How many of those things happen in the flesh and are very difficult things to do, uh, you know, either by Zoom calls or skills to get 
for example, you know, on videos and, and instructional videos or in any sort of remote learning. And so I think those things are really, really important. I also think they're probably even more important if you're in a media um, sort of location or a media market like like the ones in Australia, like even Sydney as a market, you know, everyone here knows each other. Um, and so building those networks is really, really important. And a lot of that building and a lot of that learning happens in that first sort of 10 years, 10 to 15 years of your career, which then a lot of your career then sort of trades on from then on. Um, and so that's why I think it's um, so important. Clearly it's something as most of the people uh, in this, you know, podcast recording as leaders in their field, you know, it's kind of like, I think our job uh, to help people um, who maybe haven't had that lived experience to help them, even though, for example, they might not see the value in it now, just like sometimes people don't see the value in saving or, um, you know, putting away money towards super if it wasn't compulsory. It's the same sort of thing. You've got to help them understand, but this is something you're going to need in the future uh, and sort of help sort of guide them there. So I think that was the conversation. But again, you know, there are people with different viewpoints on it. Very quickly, Matt. So as you've mentioned, your worry is that someone in their 20s may not know what you're talking about. Your other concern is that leaders uh, of those people may not realise the implications of what's going on now either. That's sort of one of the points you raised. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, at the end of the day, working from home, not for everybody, but for many people, it's a lot more convenient. And then there's also the thing of like, you know, working from home, you can sort of choose more about what you want to do and when you want to do it. We're asking people to, you know, when they're coming back into work, you're asking them to give that up. And I guess one of the things they've got to understand or realize is why they're giving that up. And here's the thing, it's not all just the younger people in your office either. I think there are many industry leaders out there with a nice house on the northern beaches where it's nice to work from there, right? And I guess the point I'm making is that there are a number of different reasons. I also think it's for your business. Maybe that's something we'll talk about in a little while. But I think it's definitely something for those young young people who you can't blame them necessarily for those who can't see it because they haven't had that lived experience of knowing, oh, God, if I hadn't have known that person in my career, if I hadn't met them earlier in my 20s or my 30s, I wouldn't have, you know, had that connection and I wouldn't be where I am now or I wouldn't have learned that thing from them. And it's going to be, like I said, I just think it's, not possible to get those same depth of connections and the same depth of learning if you don't have a good dose of it being in real life. Great points, and I really look forward to the panel's response on that. We'll start with with Amy Buchanan first. Firstly, how's your nice house in the northern beaches, uh, Amy? Are you, are you still wanting to leave that? Secondly, Matt's points around young people and not maybe needing leadership on this, but also uh, OMD's you know has been leading probably the the the, uh, the media agency sector at least and getting its people back into the office. How's that gone? You're maybe 70, 80% now. Um, how's it worked and, and what have you learned? Yeah, look, it's largely worked. We did bring people back quite early. I think, um, and Matt kind of pointed this out in his article, there needs to be a reason for people to be there. And I think we quite early figured out that people sitting here for eight hours a day on a video call wasn't conducive to motivating people to come in. Um, I think what's actually interesting, and I largely agree with a lot of what Matt's pointed out around the need for young people to connect and, and have leadership and have learning. But I think there's a real risk that we look at this as very black and white. And in the past, we looked at it as the office was a place of work and the home was a place where you didn't work. And I think we've proven that, that it can work differently. Um, and I think human nature and even the way we went about rolling in, bringing people back to the office was clear guidelines, you know, three days in the office, two days working from home. And, and I think the risk is that we get stuck in that and that we don't revisit it because the learning for us is 
that those guidelines work for some, but they don't work for everyone. And it's a lot more nuanced than going three, two, and we're done and wash your hands and kind of move forward. And you only have to think about your own lives, you know. If I have a, if I go three, two for myself even, that it's not really how I'm working, you know. I'll do an 8 a.m. call at home because it's convenient and I'll probably come to the office four or five days a week and already that three, two thing's thrown out because I'm making it work around what's effective and efficient for me and for the business. I think the big thing on this is that there are no two businesses that have exactly the same need and therefore uh, working from home or working from the office as a sort of soulless way of going is not going to be the same for those two businesses. And you reference Atlassian, I think, you know, for their business that might be viable. But for a business like ours where we're facing into two or 300 different clients who have different needs with big complicated teams, um, it would be hard for us to construct that. Um, so I think the question probably is, is how do we create nuance without kind of killing ourselves with complexity? Um, and how do we set ourselves up for greater flexibility in how people work flexibly, which sounds very convoluted, but I think it's the reality of actually how we're working. We just don't know how to put that into simple terms. And then lastly, I think the question that we need to ask ourselves is, as we move towards this messy middle or the hybrid model or whatever you want to call it, are we setting our people up to succeed in that? You know, do we have training programs on how to lead and manage ourselves and others remotely? Are we talking to our people about burnout and how to switch off and how to construct a working day within, a, in a, within an office-free environment? Because I don't think we're going back I and mean, we have to find a way for that to work in the future. No, great points, and I think we'll circle round on what we actually do and what your thoughts are about this notion that uh, historically people have carved their networks and their their learnings from being you know around other people physically, and we'll get to that. Jules Hall, welcome by the way, and you were pretty vocal early on, right, uh, about the humanless offices, but you've changed that view, I think. And and we were talking uh, a couple of months ago, and just how to to Amy's point around nuance, your creative people, uh, you discovered really quickly they they really wanted to get back together again. So just talk us through your journey of realisation and new realisation. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Going into lockdown was relatively easy in hindsight. We thought we thought that was the hard part, but it, it was pretty straightforward. We were all sent home and we had to very rapidly work out how to operate in that environment. And we had, we had a very clear definition of normal, just as we did pre-lockdown. Coming out of that was always going to be the hardest phase. And it's hard because Right now, we don't actually have a definition of what normal is. What is the normal way to work? We've got lots of thoughts, opinions, and we're building experience. I put my hand up. I was pretty pretty vocal 12 months ago about the, the good things we'd learned from working remotely, and I stand by a lot of that. We learned how to be more flexible. We learned how to communicate more effectively with each other. But it was really interesting what happened throughout the year, and there was an important final sentence in that article that, that largely got ignored, which was, we will be keeping our offices. And we've absolutely kept our office spaces in Sydney and Melbourne. What's evolved is how we use them. So we saw people uh, starting to increasingly self-select back into the office. And interestingly, to Matt's point, it was a lot of the younger people. A lot of the younger people were choosing to come in and be in that environment amongst their peers. We started to observe that different types of work fairly understandably, were more effective when we were together. So we, we revisited things a couple of months ago 
because once you've got some people coming in, some working from home, I think Matt made the point, it's pretty rubbish coming into the office to get on a video call with someone at home. But if, you have, if you've got some people in the office and some people at home, it, it gets difficult. So you need to try and align periods where you're collectively in the office together. So that's what, that's what we've done. An important shift in our mindsets, and whether this is right or wrong, I don't know yet, but it's, it's what we're doing. And it's, we used to call the office the office, and we thought about offices as offices. You had rows of desks and monitors and keyboards, and you came down and you spent a large chunk of the day sitting in your zone doing your thing. Um, we've flipped the language to the office being a clubhouse. And it, the idea of that is it, the benefit of our, of our base, of our, our tribe having a base, is it's somewhere we can come and communicate, talk, share, interact with our peers more easily and more effectively than can be done in a remote context. So I, we feel there is an onus on us um, as the leaders of the business to make this a space people want to come to and to create the spaces for collaboration that work well when we're together. So uh, I think you, you've got to think of it, you've got to focus on the carrot rather than the stick. And I, and I, and I, I think we're going to keep evolving. Like we, we haven't, we haven't, we don't know what normal is yet. So being agile and, and identifying what works, building on it, and also working out what doesn't work and finding smart ways to evolve it. And, and by who too, Jules, which we'll loop back around again on sort of, you know, you talk about the creative and the younger people sort of responding differently, but also job type is, is important too and what's going on in there. We'll come back to that. Carl Treacher, what do you make of what's been said so far? What are you observing in the broader market on this? Where is the evidence leaning to work from home in the office, the split, how it looks, and or is it as fractured as, as, as society, I guess? Um, that was quite bleak. Sorry, Carl. Thanks, Paul. Look, the reality is it is quite bleak. The, the, the reality for many organisations right now is that their cultural position and their cultural forecast and prognosis is terrible. The lack of investment and understanding of the value of culture and how culture drives strategy and actual business performance, I've been saying that for 20 years, not just me, anyone that understands the role of culture has been saying that to companies for 20 years and yet they failed to invest. Royal Commission after Royal Commission after a reputation scandal and every reputation scandal starts in culture. These are gross headlines that indicate there's a cultural problem with a company and a cultural problem often with a sector, yet they don't pick up the tools to fix the job. So COVID hits and those organisations that had a really healthy culture, you, look, you asked about the statistics and the, the evidence. Well, you know, over 60% of, of Google employees want to come back to work, yet 93% of Australians suggest that they're actually more, they're happier and more productive at home. Well, you've got to read between the lines there. What you're actually talking about is an incredibly healthy culture and community that people cannot wait to return to as opposed to a typical culture in Australia, which is incredibly substandard because of poor understanding and lack of investment. B big. And so what do you suggest, Carl? Like what do companies do? What is the, the immediate sort of focus they need to be on, particularly those, I guess, that don't have the culture you talk about? So when we talk about culture, it's not about having a nice place to work. That's one of the biggest myths and misconceptions. What they need to do is say, 
what are we trying to achieve? What's our strategy to achieve that? And what is the culture that we need, that we rely on and depend on? What is it that's going to make us actually help us achieve that strategy and objective? And until companies get their head around the value of culture and invest in it, knowing full well that like any investment, you're going to have a significant return, they are not going to go anywhere. So the first thing is get clear on the role of culture. Talk about it and promote it for what it is, which is critical and vital to the success of the company. Then go into the laws of how do we build a culture here that's great, that's actually driving our strategy and achieving our objectives. And there's a whole massive framework there that, um, that look, it's, it's beyond this conversation. But essentially, if you can't build a community that you can have a relationship and share very high candid feedback, you're never going to get to uh, perform in a way that's uh, required in this day and age. Valid. I just want to. I want to try and see, draw from you, Carl, your perspective on the original premise from Matt, which is that do people lose something fundamental early in their careers if they're not with other people co-sharing and working physically as opposed to virtually? Is is Matt wrong? Right? Sometimes right. So what is he? Well, they're big statements, but they're actually important statements to investigate. And to do so, we need to go again, go back to the science and the evidence that says. Organisations and performance of organisation takes a community working together. Now, if you think about a community of humans or a community of any animal form, really, particularly mammals, working together, they will very quickly look to the leader to understand what it takes to survive and succeed in this particular environment. And it's no different for us. As someone starts or joins a company, they'll quickly look to, what is it going to take here for me to fit in? And if I don't fit in, I'm going to feel a sense of social isolation and lack of belonging. Now, that fear is actually the large, one of the largest fears that humans have. You know, Jerry Seinfeld's famous for saying um, most people would rather be in the casket than to delivering the eulogy because um, of their fear of public speaking. But really what he was saying there was that the fear of being socially isolated and not accepted and not brought into that sense of belonging is so confronting for most people that they'd rather die. Now, that's quite extreme, but, but study after study reinforces that. So... You need people to feel included in a community to participate. That's one. You need people to develop relationships within that community where they can share information freely, including have the hard conversation and not fracture the, the actual relationship so they can learn from it and build the next um, the next uh, iteration. And finally, I think the big one is the uh, people will join a, a community or a group of people and they emulate the behaviours and the micro behaviours of successful people around them. That's very difficult to do in a virtual format. Um, so whilst there is critical um, elements to working and successful elements, I should say, to working remotely, deep work, for instance, deep task work, um, very important to have isolation in that instance. It's also very important to bump into one another, have those collisions, have those um, unplanned interactions that help you understand and learn what it takes to be successful. So Amy Buchanan, can I ask you then, with your younger teams, you know, media agencies have a lot of younger people in their businesses. Is Matt right? And what have you been doing about that so far? I mean, we've done a lot on how we build culture and I think how we connect people. If I look back over the last year, I think it's right and it's a lot harder. And the cues that you spoke about, Carl, are 100% by you trying to pick up on these um, ways of behaving and the time set. Uh, the only thing I'd say is that... It, when you're running, like I think about our business, which is across three offices, in some ways our teams have never been closer. So we've been able to connect three geographically different spaces that didn't spend 
a lot of time together and didn't probably have the benefit of sharing as much as they could have. And the positive of the last year is we've been able to do that. And I think even at a junior, a junior level, we've been able to connect the officers in a way and to people to different levels of the business in a way that we was very challenging to do um, physically. Having said that, things like training, things like um, bringing the teams together, a sense of purpose and connectivity, it's 10 times easier physically in the office. So I, I, I guess I come back to, I think there's ways you can take the good out of both and be better for it all. And I'm not trying to sit on the fence, but I, I just don't think it's one or the other. And I think about the way that we're running our business now, like our executive team nationally have never been more connected because we're doing everything with one face to a screen rather than two rooms trying to interface to each other virtually, which just, it didn't work, but it took us COVID to kind of figure out how badly it was operating. But at a training and development level, yeah, look, it's definitely, they're getting a lot more out of it in the office physically. But I think it's how do we strike the balance? Like, I think you don't want to go backwards. Sarah Wise, um, so you've been sitting here listening to to everyone. Uh, what have you been doing and what's your position on this so far at the AFL and beyond? Well, we came back to the office on the 1st of February. So I reckon we were one of the last businesses to go back into the office and we had a really, really structured approach to getting people back. We've only really been back all together in the office for the last six weeks. Um, so we, we had a lot of time, all of us working from home. And we've taken our time because I think the way that we've really approached to getting people back was very much people first. So we've actually kind of gone the other way. So we've, we've waited a long time to get people back, but to really understand what people want as opposed to what what is the business outcome first. Not that I'm saying that anyone in this call has suggested that it's business first and business only, but it's been very people first focused. So the, the way that we've thought about getting everyone back into the office has been really through two lenses. One is around diversity and inclusion. And the second one is around how do you retain the best talent and then attract the best talent. And I think that's really led us to... Um, um, a quite a different approach, and maybe you know we're uh, you know we're running a media organisation inside a sporting business, so it's a little bit different, I guess, to some people on this call today. Um, but we've settled on a two-day work in the office and a three days work from anywhere model, where the office is open five days a week, but we've settled on it on a hybrid model because what we've learned through multiple surveys and engagements through through the last sort of twelve to fifteen months is that the flexible working and the and the I guess the, the what, what flexibility brings in terms of options and choices is the thing that's really stopped people from burning out as much as they maybe would have done in the past. And so that's quite an interesting balance. Carl, uh, Sarah says, you know, what people want and what they need. Do people know what they need versus what they want? And is there, to Matt's point, younger people understanding what works for them in their careers? So they may want to stay away uh, from the office, but is that what they need? Yeah, it's, it's a great point. The reality is humans hate ambiguity. We love stability. We, lo- we hate uncertainty. So the younger generations particularly have grown up with this sense of empowerment. And I don't say entitlement, but that's also possibly the case, where they believe that they know more than they do. And the, the door isn't necessarily ajar or left open to have spontaneous learning opportunities where they are bumping into one another, having those, un- those um, unprompted uh, spontaneous collisions that actually, in reality, if you look in hindsight over someone's career, it's many of those that have dictated their future, whether that be a, an opportunity that's popped up through a conversation, through a, an interaction or a brokerage to someone else that you meet through a friend or a colleague. There's so much of that that goes into the context of your career, not just the linear path of I'm doing my job well. So now that that's actually spot on, getting those interactions and that ability to 
bump into one another is is certainly critical. So, Sarah, what did the people, your people at the AFL, say they wanted, uh, and and you aligned to that as the primary focus of how you developed your strategy? Yeah. So everyone everyone said without without a shadow of a doubt, the best thing to come out of last year was their, their flexibility. And we've always had a flexible work policy, but flexibility was a number one piece. How can they balance their personal lives um, and, and their, their broader lifestyle with work? So that was, that was the first thing that, that came out of that. Um, the second thing was also about the office space specifically. So we're about to go through a complete reimagining of our office um, because it has to be completely redesigned. If we're only going to be in the office two days a week, the purpose of the office now has fundamentally changed. And so it's not necessarily about coming in with your laptops, getting to your desk and doing emails. Um, you can do that at home. It's much more around um, socializing, um, connecting with your team, collaborating, solving problems, being creative. Um, things that I, I think Amy mentioned, you know, um, things that are just a lot easier when you're doing it in person, but also things that are quite hard, things that are quite complex or challenging when you need help or a different perspective or just a different, you know, two heads are better than one, I guess is the example there. But for a lot of work that we do, um, and people with different jobs have varying degrees of this, emails, presentations, whips, calls, I mean, you can do those from anywhere. You don't need to be in the office. And, and actually, the level of productivity, as we've learned last year, is for, that, for those tasks, you're actually better off from doing them, you know, not in the office. Jules Hall, in terms of what your people say they want and what you kind of suspect or think that they may need, is there a difference yet or are they aligned? I'd like to think they're reasonably aligned. It's quite, it's, it's a relatively tricky one to answer, isn't it? Because back to that whole thing around what is the definition of normal? Like this, this pre-COVID, we had, a, we had an accepted way of working. We understood that basically approximately nine to five, Monday to Friday, you went to a place that was called an office, as did all your peers, and you did your thing. To Sarah's point, that we learned so much last year. We learned how to communicate, as Amy was talking about, more effectively. We learned that different tasks actually get done better in different contexts. And the, the probably the biggest thing that I took out of it, and 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 I think a bunch of others have from what I've read, is you 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 learn how amazing people are. And you learn how they self-organize and self-direct really, really effectively when given appropriate amounts of freedom and, and direction. And so I think one of the things that the, if you summarize the biggest positive to come out of last year, it's we've learned how to be more flexible. We've learned that we don't need to be so rigid in the rules and directions that we set for our staff. We focus on the outcomes we want and we facilitate the behaviors and places that are best for, for achieving those outcomes. And, and after that, you, you can give a lot of freedom to people, is my learning. Matt Rowley, how did your people respond, your younger people, when they when they read your piece? Did they agree with you and say, yeah, you're right, boss, I we probably don't know what we don't know? Or did they sort of have some words with you on the side that sort of pulled you into line? Yeah, or maybe lack of words right. <laughs> in, in some cases. Look, I, I'll be absolutely honest. I know that my viewpoint on that didn't necessarily gel with everybody's. And I actually think this is an interesting point, is that if you just ask everybody, what do you want, you need to be careful with that. And I don't necessarily think that's the job of a leader, is to always ask everybody, what would you want, rather than this is what I think would be better, both for us and as an organisation. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it gels with everybody. And actually, we do a, we call it a vibe check. We do it every month. And it's uh, also, it's, it's um, anonymous. People can write what they want. And we get some very... Um, you know, very strong opinions in there. And actually, what was interesting, and this is something that came out of all of this, and for example, my LinkedIn post, 
was really interesting because of the comments that I got. And if I could summarize it in one phrase, it was, but what about the introverts? Right? It was, it was all, like literally there was an army of people who self-related as introverts and like this is our chance to shine and be in the natural habitat that we were born to be, which is working from home rather than being forced into being with, with other people. And that was, I found that really, really, really interesting. And it was a lot of people coming back saying, well, the reason you're going to have to actually think more about having people working at home more than, um, than less is because of those introverts and that's naturally who they are. And I thought that was a really interesting concept because actually in most teams, I think it's accepted that you want a blend of different types of people, um, different skill sets, different personalities. You don't want everyone to be the same. And I'm thinking most teams, you would have that. So my thing then is that well, how are you going to keep all of those people happy? So if you have in one team, people who need to work together optimally, um, how do you have, because we agreed earlier on, it doesn't make sense to have some people in the office when other people are still at home because then you've got them dialing into each other. Well, if you've got the introverts who are saying, I need to stay at home most of the time and extroverts saying, oh, you know, and I'm happy to be in the office, you find yourself in a, you know, in a, in a sort of a, a mix that you can't fix. Um, and then there you're going to be forced into making a decision and saying, okay, well, what's, what do I think is best for the business and what do I think is actually also potentially best for everybody and making a call on that. Um, and I think that's an interesting point where you can't just say, well, I'll just be followed by what people are telling me they want. As a leader, you're going to need to make a stand. And yeah, and my call on that one, sorry, Sarah, would not be two and three, it would be at least three and two. Um, but obviously different organizations will make different calls on that. Cal Treacher, so what people want, what they need, introverts and, you know, do leaders still need to make some calls that may, may not make everyone happy, which is what possibly we're all trying to do post-COVID? Yeah, sure. Look, leaders do have to guide the situation here and they need to be guided by those people in the know. So subject matter experts on building culture and community, particularly learning culture that leads to innovation really needs to come to the fore here. And those decisions need to be made. And let me explain why. If you don't have a community feel and a sense of uh, a community and care to the extent that you can give someone feedback, and I mean high candor feedback, have the hard conversation, you're not going to be able to take that information on board, make the change iterate and then move on into the next version. So prototyping depends on, on feedback. In the environment that we're in at the moment in terms of the pace of business, everyone has to have a high level of productivity that leads to a high level of change. And so innovation is inherent in the success of every company right now. So organisations that rely on their people telling them what they want means, and if they and just say they want, and as I, to my earlier point, a lot of the culture in Australia is not terrific, they want to stay at home. They don't want to be part of the community. They want to do their job and then dip in and out. What this suffers here is innovation. And as I just mentioned, what suffers there is organisational performance. So leaders really need to step in and not to make demands by any means, but find ways of bringing the community with them so that people can dip in, dip out, be part of it, have their say and feel part of that community to an extent that they can provide feedback, they can shape the way the, way the organisation's moving forward. Amy Buchanan, you know, one of the underlying points is that, you know, leaders may have to make calls that are not necessarily universally liked by teams. Are you prepared for that? Is, le is leadership, not just you, by the way, but is leadership prepared for this, you know, where there's some hard stuff that may not go down well? Is that okay? Oh, yeah, I think that if the last year has taught us anything, it's not all decisions will be popular. Um, and 
and the comment around yeah making a call and asking your people. I I, I think look the way we went about it is we were, we were quite we need to get people back in early and that you know in July last year we had people coming back to the Sydney office and we did that gradually very structured as Sarah sort of spoke about from an AFL point of view. But it wasn't popular. People at the beginning were going, I don't understand why we need to be coming in. And we had lots of, you know, if you're uncomfortable, if you're high risk, work from home, completely fine. But there was a sense we wanted to bring our people back into the business. What I will say is that once we tipped the majority, 70, 60, 70%, we now don't have enough seats for everybody. So we've gone the other way. And even though we're going 3-2 or 4-1, depending on what level you're at, people want to be in here more than they want to be at home, which uh, I, I think is the beauty of giving flexibility is that people self-select what works for them and works for the business ultimately. And I think you, you can kind of have both. You can make the hard call, take them on the journey, and I think you end up, and we've adapted that. It's now team by team. They work out what works for the Telstra team versus the McDonald's team. Um, and they've got that structured at a team level, and that was feedback we got quite early on as the blanket approach wasn't working. So, yeah, I think you can have both. And sorry, the only other thing that's running through my mind is that it, we've spoken a little bit about culture, um, autonomy is I think the thing that came out of last year and Jules uh, really touched on this, that we, we had it proven that autonomy could drive the outcomes that we were all hoping for. What I think Matt's spoken a lot about is mastery and I think that's the kind of tension to this conversation is that our people need to master skills to evolve and grow. Um, and that all adds up to, I think, a higher purpose of a business. I think you get those three ingredients right and there's tension in that and there should be tension in it. And I think it's kind of why I go, neither are wrong or right. It's striking the right balance to ultimately deliver that sense of culture and belonging. I really like that point, Amy. I really like that point. Like just obviously building on old Daniel, Daniel Pink, I think, you know, autonomy, autonomy, mastery and purpose. Purpose is a really interesting one. If you've got clarity of purpose for your business that your people align behind, you've got an organizing mission then the self-organization, self-selection happens relatively easily. If you don't have that, it makes it a lot harder. The behavior, yeah, the behaviors don't always ladder up to what you want from a performance point of view, which I think is kind of the piece that if your mission's clear and your values and behaviors sit behind that, the rest of it sort of follows and you can give all the guidelines you like. But I think it comes down to whether people are buying into that or not. So it does get back to, you know, one of your early uh, concerns, Amy, was uh, aside from everything else, are people uh, equipping themselves to, to manage in this new world and, and, how, and how businesses do that? Matt Rowley, I'm just interested in your perspective. So what are you doing with your people to sort of walk the talk on this or is it still evolving and trying to work it out? Yeah, I mean, from our perspective, I guess we did come back when possible relatively early. I mean, I think one of the important things there was obviously leading by example. But then I think the second thing, I guess Amy said it up front, was that things uh, were not going to be black and white. I guess the other thing we did, I guess being unapologetic for that there are some things that are going to happen face-to-face in the office that we're not going to cater for at home. Obviously, during lockdown, like if we tried to do something socially, you know, we try and do it so that everybody could do it from home equally and all those sorts of things. But as things have moved on, it's like, yeah, like we can't have like a 
a get together or a gathering or those sorts of things that might happen in the office, we can't necessarily cater to that. And yeah, you're going to miss out. Yes, we'll try and zoom things um, out um, more than we did before and then better quality and all those sorts of things. But there will be things that start to naturally happen that you just won't be able to be part of. On the other side of things, I think what has come out of COVID, I'm actually now motivated to, uh, this might sound counterintuitive, travel more to my offices in Melbourne and Brisbane than I were, than I was before. One of the things I was in a natural sort of thing where I would get down there maybe, you know, every six weeks, couple of months for a meeting, jet in, go to the meeting, go to the office, say hello to everybody, have a couple of meetings and go. And I think one of the things that's made me realise is that actually if you really want to engender, you know, culture the way we'd want to, you need to spend more time, like just being there and being with people. It's made me appreciate that more. And so I'm probably doing that more now and more, more consciously um, than I than I used to do. And then finally, again, probably as a counterbalance to that, one of the things we realised was, you know, when we were bringing people on and we were bringing people on board during COVID was, and we didn't have that capability to be as face-to-face as we are now, was how are we going to onboard them? Because we couldn't quite do that induction with key people in the business. So we did things like we recorded all of those. So they're things that you can do and obviously they can be served up to you through a system or all those sorts of things. So it gives everybody that same introductory um, sort of experience. But we're continuing to do that now, even though we're face-to-face, because we're like, that's just a really good idea. Like, why should some people get it months later or, you know, in a half-assed way versus others? And actually, why can't we just record that and turn that into something that everybody can sort of have? So, look, there's been so many things we've kind of learned out of this. Some of them have been counterintuitive. Fascinating. Um, so, Sarah Wise, before I get everyone to to sort of give us their sense on what the next 12 months, whether priorities or programs or skills and, and, and leadership focus will be for the next 12 months in this whole work from home, work from office um, uh, tension, Sarah Wise, just want to ask, you know, in terms of those, those points we've covered both on, you know, what people want, what they need, you sort of raised that, triggered that one pretty early on in this conversation, uh, introverts and equipping people in a new world. Just your kind of thoughts on that from the AFL's perspective. We have so many different people, like everyone has in their organisations. And so it's, it is hard to, to kind of, I guess, find the balance. I think for us, it's it's around invest, investment into different programmes, I think. So for us, you know, we're investing heavily into learning and development, into learning new skills. We've totally re-looked at all the technology systems and processes that we use in our business to think about how we can maybe redesign how we work. And that is, um, that's a massive task, to be honest, because um, there's huge legacy in the way that we've always done things. And so that, that, that will be a really big focus um, for us, as, as well as also our wellness program. So that will be a huge one around a much more proactive approach to wellness as opposed to being there for when people are struggling and need help. It's, it's much more around how can we be more proactive to kind of help with people's mental health and, and well-being more, more generally. Jules Hall, the, so the biggest watch out for you in the next 12 months, what is it and, and where is the priorities for your business in the next year uh, in terms of this whole home and work environment? What, what are your big watch outs? I think you must be telepathic because you've asked me the perfect question for my summation. <laughs> I think the biggest watch out for all of us is, and I'm making some broad judgments on the ages of my colleagues on this call, we've got 20 years of learned behaviour. And what I've observed is it's very, very easy to fall back on learned behavior because that's normal. It's not always the best behavior. It's not always the best way to operate. So I think one of our biggest challenges as leaders and as slightly more aged leaders is to be conscious of our personal biases and to try and put them to one side as we work out the best ways of working into the future. 
And I want to ask you though, Jules Hall, is that in terms of someone mentioning earlier about it being not being black and white, and I can see the black and white argument for those that maybe want to resist more flexibility, but on the flip side, are those that are really seeking flexibility without not necessarily wanting to acknowledge that there may be something in terms of cohabitation or co-working, is there black and white both sides is my question here? Oh, there's nothing black and white. It's shades of grey from here. And flexibility is the is the flexibility we now have in the ways we work is fundamentally different to how it was pre-COVID. And and we have to work out how to accommodate that flexibility moving forwards. Uh, Amy Buchanan, the focus, the leadership focus uh, at your business for the next next year or so. It'll be continuing to adapt what we're doing and really looking into the way that we're working. So I don't think we're sitting still on that at all. I think from a people point of view. My biggest focus is setting them up to be able to continue to lead uh, in a way and in a context I think that we've never experienced. So whether that be how they're managing people remotely, how they're working with clients, um, I just think there's a whole bunch of skills that we need to be teaching them to be ready for that. Um, And I think from a wellbeing point of view, our people are exhausted. Um, collectively and they've gotten used to operating at a pace that's just not sustainable to be healthy ongoing so I think the, the biggest probably thing that keeps me up at night is how are we looking after them and equipping them to care for themselves um, as we move forward. Gee, and that's that, that's another conversation itself, right, Amy? And just out of interest as well, I mean, you talk about your people, but leaders equally have got all sorts of pressures and exhaustion and, and stretch to, to max, including the people on this panel. So how are you managing yourself, Amy Buchanan? I think the difference is I know the signals for when I'm getting a bit fragile <laughs> um, and I know when I need to switch off. I think last year was challenging because the kind of normal ways of doing that, be it a holiday or all the normal things that you would do, didn't exist. So I think, again, you ha- you, we have to create patterns that are more sustainable and you've got to go back to, I mean, your laptop's permanently set up, but you can't be, you know, you can't be online at 10, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock every night and expect to sustain that. So self-management is, you know, the hardest part of it. I haven't got all the answers, sorry. <laughs> Gu- guilty, Your Honour, I have to say, from my own part. Uh, Sarah Wise, the biggest watch-outs for the next uh, next year or so for you at, at the AFL? For us, it's all around trying to create a new world rather than adapting the old one. So for us, it's about being quite creative and, and almost starting again rather than trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. So for if everything from office to job design, to how we work, to the technology we use. I think we're going to have to really spend some time uh, reimagining all of that for the new world. To the great protagonist, uh, Matt Rowley, last words to you, which is um, the biggest watchouts. You've probably said them all, but just um, is there anything new you've got there? Look, I, I'm tremendously positive about kind of where we are actually in the, in the cycle. Like in terms of the organisation at, at Pedestrian Group, like I was blown away by how easily people took to it and actually how well people have kind of come back and actually are embracing the opportunities that it kind of gives. I think there's an interesting thing that's happening though in the job market. So for example, you know, everybody got frozen for, you know, a certain period of time and no one was moving or wanted to move. Um, And so you had sort of that natural refreshing of an organization didn't necessarily happen. And then I think what we're now starting to see is that's moving again, like the job figures will tell you that in the economy. And so actually what we're starting to see is like that movement start up again. And I think it's just dealing with that so that, you know, it's not seen as a negative. People see that, that actually it's positive. You get sort of fresh ideas and new people to an organization, um, both as you grow and as you sort of naturally sort of turn over. That's probably the thing that we're kind of 
going to then manage um, in terms of the change in the organization and what that means to our culture. But otherwise, I think, yeah, I think as an organization, we've just seen it as like, yeah, super positive. We love it when we can be face to face with people and, and, and do what we do. And so, yeah, just having more opportunity like that has, has been great, actually. I, I feel like we're past that sort of immediate aftermath. I think feel like that's a few months back. Um, but uh, it's probably, you know, to, to Jules's point is like not losing um, some you know, skill and not just falling back into what we assumed from two years ago, but, you know, making sure we keep some of these new skills going. Well, it's a great point around the jobs market too. It's going to be a great test for all of you as you both try and keep and find talent, right? Because it is crazy out there is everything I'm hearing. Matt Rowley, Amy Buchanan, Sarah Wise, Jules Hall, Carl Treacher, thanks for the time. Great conversation. I think we have to come back and sort of visit some of this stuff because we've only got, got to the top of it. Thanks for joining. Go and work from home or the office wherever you are. Thank you. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.